At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Um, Okay, how many of you got the email from Woodside this past week, and you have already know what the title of today's sermon is? Did anybody see that? Okay, well, that's actually very telling. Okay, so let's get the title on the screen right now. I just want to get it, I want to get it out of the way and over with. When God becomes the enemy. Happy Family Sunday! So not only when Jim said, hey, Josh, can you preach this Sunday? Sure, not a problem. And then I look at the title and it says, when God becomes the enemy, I said, Jim, what are you doing to me? And then I started reading Lamentations 2, and I had no idea what I was reading. I read that thing over and over and over. I had no idea. And so then I'm trying to think, how do I relate this sermon to kids and families? But first, got to understand even what I'm reading. So I thought, okay, well, this morning, or as I was preparing for this morning, it was phenomenal and amazing how it was the power of the Spirit that was enlightening me and giving me wisdom and discernment, and I was studying, and little bits here and little bits there kept coming and coming and coming, and I'd have people text me, hey, I saw this, I saw this, because I was reaching out to everyone. (laughs) I need help! (laughs) Um, And so it as I, as I journeyed through the book of uh, chapter 2, it started to make sense, and it started to become clear, and it started to become powerful. Like, it was powerful. So then I started getting stoked, because I'm like, I can't wait for Sunday so that it's powerful for all of us. And so I think how this is going to work this morning is I'm going to kind of work through the thoughts and the study process and kind of how I went along and worked through chapter 2 so that you and I can get on this journey and get into a place where this is powerful, uh, more power. I, I've never read Lamentations before, not for real. And so this has been amazing to be able to see this and go through this. Um, okay, so chapter two. One of the things that was phenomenal is I, I found an author, or an author was introduced to me. His name is Mark Vrogop. Don't worry about spelling the last name because it's very difficult. But the book is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Look that up, Amazon, whatever, and grab that. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. As I was reading it and understand that the book of Lamentations is all about a nation who is feeling pummeled, and there's distress and pain all around them. There is no letting up. And I wish the title said, When God Feels Like the Enemy. If you and I have a relationship with God through Jesus, he will never be our enemy. But it can feel that way. When we have pain, when we have anger, when we have hurt, we want to put that on somebody. And if we can't, what do we say? Why, God, why are you doing this to me? I love you. Why are you doing this to me? Why am I going through this? The city of Ur, the nation of Israel is crying out. Why are you doing this? And we'll read literally The prophet Jeremiah is saying that God's anger and and he's he's coming at us like the enemy. 
So the first thing to understand is that when he feels like the enemy, we must lean into that and cry out to him. And this book described that feeling. And he says this, the dark side of God's will, the warm glow of his promise, keeping grace, is eclipsed by difficulty, confusion, and pain. When we're not in God's will, Israel was going through some times. Forget about God, we're going to do our own thing. And all of a sudden, they are feeling God's wrath. And Mark described it as an eclipse. Doesn't mean Jesus left. Doesn't mean that God left him. He was there. But it felt like it was eclipsed. He goes on and says, being on the dark side of God's will doesn't change the certainty of the presence of Jesus. Yet the eclipse creates an environment that feels dark, cold, and lonely. When the sun is there and you see the eclipse go over, the sun's not ceasing to be there. It's there, but you don't see it. You don't feel it. You're not feeling good. Israel's learning, feeling the same thing. We may know that the sun will shine again one day, but if it feels a long way off, it feels like a long way off when we're on the dark side of God's will. When there's pain and suffering and everything just feels like it's just compounding and pushing in, and Israel is going through such a rough time, and God's wrath is on them. And the title of the sermon, when it feels like God is the enemy, so I started thinking about how can I relate to you all what Israel was feeling and what we feel now. The best way for me to do this is to talk to you about mental health. Now, I am not saying that mental health is, a, is, is, is because of sin or my sin. It's, I mean, it's sin. It's a fallen world. I'm not saying mental health means that you're on the dark side of God's will, but it feels like it. Since 2017, I've had a really, 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 really hard time with anxiety. And it usually comes out in social anxiety, which is weird because I love being here with you all, but social anxiety and then obsessive compulsiveness. And I didn't realize what it was, but I felt it. I felt it all the time. My anxiety level was like just below redlining all the time. And I didn't know what to do. And I tried. I didn't talk to anybody. I, you feel alone. Kiddos, I want you to listen too. Sometimes in school you're having a hard time. And you feel sad. And you feel anxious. And you feel like you can't get through the next day. Adults, we feel that way too. That is a valley and pain in something that feels like you're on the dark side of God's will, it feels like that so much. And that's when we need to lean into God the most. That's when we need to cry out to God the most. That's when we need to come around our brothers and sisters, talk to those around us, so that we can understand God's love and his promises and truth in our lives. Okay, Israel was going through a difficult time. They had been sinning, they had pushed God away, they were doing their own thing, and God's wrath was raining down on them. Kiddos, when you get into trouble, I mean like really get into trouble, and your parents discipline you, 
Man, I mean, so back in the day, I got spanked. That's, that's how we got disciplined. I got spanked. That did not feel good. It didn't feel like my mom loved me. It didn't feel like my dad loves me. Sometimes for you, you get into trouble. You get into um, uh, grounding, or you get something taken away, or they're angry with you, or they're upset because you kept doing the same thing. Or maybe you're at school, and the teachers are like, what are you doing every two seconds? But they love you even if it doesn't feel like it. This is the interesting thing. Man, I'm jumping way ahead. Uh, okay, let's do that. So in Proverbs chapter 6, let me pull out my phone. Proverbs chapter 6, there's a lot of scripture that I'm going to be reading that's not actually going to be on the screen. So if you have a Bible or your phone or something along those lines. Uh, so if we go to Proverbs chapter 6, I'm going to read out of the CSB. Here's a list in verse 16, it says, The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet that's eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among the brothers. This is the key thing. God's wrath, his holy wrath, was not against his people. It was what they were doing. He loves them so much that he needed to eradicate the evilness and the sinfulness that was in the nation, his people, his love. God's not the enemy. He's the Savior. He loves us. He loved Israel. He loved them so much that he was going to eradicate the evil that was going in and out of that nation. Sometimes, so let me back up. So lamentations, lamenting. Jim talked about this last week. It gives us a voice, a language, a prayer that we're able to talk to God and say why, that we're able to get angry with God and say, what are you doing? To be sad, to be completely overwhelmed by all the things that are around us, and we're praying and we're crying out and we're lamenting. And I love what Jim said because he said, lamenting is not going into a cul-de-sac and just whirling around and swirling around in our misery and our pain and in our anger. It's that once we start lamenting and telling God and asking why, and there's a, there's a voice and there's a, a language for us to do so, we're leaning in. We're saying, God, this is something else that Mark said. We're saying, God, I know that you're not mean, but right now it feels like it. I know that you don't hate me. I'm your child. I have a relationship with you through Jesus. I know that you don't hate me, but it feels like it. It feels like you hate me. Why? Why is this happening? Why can I not get out of my head? Why can't I start thinking the things that I should instead of the things I shouldn't? Why do I have to obsess over things that don't matter and completely debilitate me to where I just want to stay at home? I don't want to go outside. I don't want to do anything. I'd rather just stay home. <laughs> because then I, don't, I, I won't mess things up for those around me. 
So now I have a language. Now I have a prayer. Now we have a whole book that shows us when things are going bad and when things are hard, that's not when we run from God, that's when we run to him. He loves us. He's in the valley with us. There are things that happen because of sin. There are things that happen because of our sin. There are consequences, but he's there because he loves us. He loves you and he loves me. And kiddos, your parents love you. They love you with all of their heart, but they're not perfect. But guess who is? Our Heavenly Father. And he's our example of what it means to run after our people and to go after them so hard to eradicate the evil and the sin. That was just my first point, sweet Moses. Okay, chapter 2. Again, I'm kind of reading because these were my notes. So, so just really setting up chapter 2. Um, okay, uh, it says, Chapter 2 continues to awaken us to a broken world and a holy God. That's what Lamentations is showing us. That complete, you know, where it's not going because you have sin, but you have a holy God. A holy, righteous God who's angry with sin, with evil. I wonder where, oh yeah, it's down here. Chapter 2 turns its focus from Jerusalem to the whole nation. And it now connects the tension between pain and sovereignty. If God is all sovereign, my son asked this question the other day. If God's sovereign, well, he didn't say sovereign, but, but, but he asked this question. If, if he's all-knowing and sovereign and already knows all that's going to happen, then why do I sin? Why do I make the wrong choice? Why is there pain? And that's like, it's almost like an impasse. It's almost like you can't, get, you can't figure that out. And there's tension there. But the Bible clearly says that God is all sovereign and all knowing, but that we have free will. How that works, I don't know. And in Lamentations, you can see this coming together. Chapters 2 is split up into three parts. One and two is the prophet describing the divine judgment on his people. Verses 11 through 16 is the prophet expressing his sincere sympathy, like he's lamenting for them. 17 and 19, he's exhorting them or urging them or encouraging them to cry out to God. And verses 20 and 22 is part of that, where he kind of gives them a little bit of a model. Here's how you do this. So let's dive right in. Uh, our first point, wow, our first point is God is righteous in pouring out his anger. Okay, in Proverbs, I already read that, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, um, one of the, the Bible in One Year apps, one of the um, authors of that study said this about that Proverbs 16 through 19 when they listed the list of the things that God hates. He said this, God's hatred, this is so phenomenal. This is so incredible because when I read the title and I'm reading the thing and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. How can God hate me if he loves me? I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you for God so loved the world. It doesn't make sense. Okay. God's hatred is not like ours. It contains no element of spite, pettiness, or hypocrisy. Here we go. But it is the reaction of the altogether holy and loving God to sin. His anger is his loving and holy hostility to evil. He is holy. 
He hates sin so much that he's allowing whatever is necessary to be able to eradicate that from his people. Do we hate sin that much, kiddos? We say, you know, don't, you, you shouldn't say I hate, you shouldn't say I hate, I hate. If there's one thing you should hate, it's the same thing that God hates, and that's sin. And sin is easy to describe. Anything we think, say, or do that's against God's word is disobedience and it's sin. It's real easy to remember. So if there's one thing you should hate, it's the same thing that God hates. And that's disobedience to him because he is holy. All right, let's read. Uh, Lamentations chapter 2. I'm going to go back to ESV. All right, here we go. So I'm going to read verses 1, 5, 7, and 8. Here's what I want. Uh, if anything else, parents, uh, I'm trying as hard as I can to make this a kid thing as well. I'm trying to engage. Uh, but if anything else, what I want you to do is be able to go home and have conversations afterwards. Talk through things afterwards. Uh, there's a lot in here that's explicit. There's a lot in chapter 2 that's not kid-friendly. And so when you go home, work through some of these things. Talk through it. Talk through sadness and, and hurt and pain and all the things. And, and you can look through Lamentations to see how do we lament to God. But I'm going to read verses 1, 5, 7, and 8. Verse 1, How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. Verse 5, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up its places. He has laid in ruins its stronghold, and he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Verse 7, the Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. And then lastly, verse 8, the Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Okay, why? Jeremiah is not shy nor bitter nor angry in lamenting what it is that God is doing to the city, to the nation of Israel. But remember, this is happening because Israel had unforgiven sin that they continued to do over and over and over again. And God, in his holiness, had to eradicate that evilness. This is the thing, this is one of the things that I couldn't understand, you know, before I was really like studying. How, it doesn't make any sense. If God is gracious and merciful and loving and unconditional, how is it that all of a sudden Israel got so bad, bad enough that God just said, I can't handle it anymore. I'm done. That doesn't make any sense. It also doesn't make any sense because if God is above time and outside of time and he sees everything at one time, then he's not getting to a place of, I'm over this. So it didn't make any sense until I realized that it wasn't, it's not that he got fed up. It's that in his sovereign, holy plan, 
it is now time to redeem his people back to himself, to eradicate the evilness, to point to something that's going to happen in the future. And the people of Israel needed to understand and repent and turn back and lean in and get back right with their relationship with God. Jeremiah almost exhausted the possibilities of human language in describing the burning wrath. He was very, very good, very descriptive, really hit the nail on the head. I think that's how it is. Uh, nail on the head about how, how much was happening to Israel. He was describing the burning wrath of a holy God against the sin, against his people, consuming and destroying. He did not hesitate. This, is another, this was another crazy thing. God didn't hesitate destroying his own tabernacle, his own priest, his own place. He didn't hesitate. Because everything needed to be eradicated. Nothing was being done in Jesus' name, in God's name. It was being done in their own name in their own power, in their own strength. He did not hesitate because he knew in his love that the evil needed to be eradicated. All right, now let's jump down to verses. I'm going to, oh, okay, so that was our first point. Our second point is this. God is exhaustive in dealing with our sin. This is my favorite point. This is my favorite part. So let's read. We're going to read 11, verses 11, 13, and then 15 through 16. So 11 is my, and I'm sorry that I don't have the scripture on the, sorry, that was a squirrel moment. Okay, uh, verse 11. My eyes are spent with weeping, my stomach churns, my bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Verse 13. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you to that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? In verse 15 through 16, all who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called to perfection, or the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? 16, all your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry. We have swallowed her. This is the day we long for. Now we have it and we see it. Remember we said three parts. The second part was the prophet expresses his sincere sympathy. This is what you're going through. I understand this and I see it. I'm crying out. I'm wondering, what do we do? How do we get out of this? What is happening? How can we be comforted? Uh, He said right there, "Um, what can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken you to that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Uh, um, Really quickly, all those phrases like daughter of Zion, um, well, obviously Jerusalem. There's some other ones in there where you'll see phrases. That's describing the nation of Israel. Okay, so as you're reading through this, that's describing that. I probably should have said that at the beginning. Um, so, in my notes, I said the tender-hearted prophet is particularly upset as he recalls the agonizing death of the innocent and how awful the effect is. This is one of the things I want you to read, parents at home or, or adults at home. Read, because there is devastation beyond devastation in those verses. There are things that are happening to innocent lives that make your skin crawl. 
And it's in those moments that it's really easy for you and I to run from God because God hates us instead of running to God because we know that God loves us, but we don't know why this is happening. This Mark Vrogop, he, this, I just remember this. He gave us an um, uh, example. So him and his wife, um, they, they were pregnant, uh, I think with their first kid, maybe their second kid. They were pregnant, and I think like at 37 weeks, um, there was a miscarriage. So devastating, absolutely devastating. So they had been trying again, and, and you know, they were working through that grief and that mourn and that pain and that agony, and they were trying again, and they finally got pregnant again. And she was halfway through, and they were back in the same room with the same doctor, with the same ultrasound tech, who told them before that she miscarried. And she told them again, you miscarried. And he said, me and my wife are in the car. Man, his wife said something really good, and I forget what she said. But it was something along the lines of they were in the car. And paint this un, this unrealized, how could you do this? Not only did we have one miscarriage, but two in the same way, in the same room. What are you doing? But his wife, in her wisdom and understanding, was able to lament and say, God, I love you, and I know that you love me, but this does not feel like it. I am hurt. I am torn. I am broken. This does not feel like it. Israel was in a place... Adults, seriously, read through chapter 2, because I, I cut out some verses. Read through, because it's devastating. And it's in those places that we need to, we must run to God. We must run to God, and now we have a language to do so. It's okay to say why. It's okay to say, how could you do this? It's okay to say, why are you doing this to me? I thought you loved me. It's okay. But like Jim said, we don't get stuck in that cul-de-sac. You don't keep going round and around. You get through it. You work through it. You allow the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, to work in you, to reset your mind, to reset your thinking, to, to, to show what it is and how God loves you. Sin must be punished, and it didn't... Okay, here we go. Sin must be punished. The sin of the Israel, the nation of Israel, needed to be punished. It needed to be eradicated. The evil needed to be out. But it didn't stop with Jerusalem. It didn't stop with Israel. This was all of a sudden. When I came across this, it turned the whole message all over for me, all around. The nation of Israel, think about this. The nation of Israel was taking the full brunt of the effect of God's wrath and anger on their sin. They were taking all of it. There was no rest. There was no getting away. God's full wrath was on his children. And when you read through Lamentation, you can see the devastation. And again, it's because it's a holy God that needs to eradicate their sin because he loves them and he wants to redeem them back to themselves. And here we go. Who takes the full brunt of our sin now? Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. He now takes the full brunt 
I don't understand the Trinity. I don't understand how that works, but I'll tell you right now, if God the Father is killing his son, and now his son, who has experienced unity with the Father that nobody else has, is all of a sudden separated from his Father because of the sin on that cross that he took for you and for me, that is pain and wrath. All of his anger, all of his pain poured out on Jesus. I started doing a happy dance because I was like, this is it. This is the gospel. This is the whole point. This is the whole point of the scriptures. In every scripture we read, we can come back to God's story of redeeming his creation. Such a glorious and amazing realization that Jesus has now taken the full brunt of God's wrath. Here we go. Do you understand? Do I actually understand how much a holy God hates our sin? Do we really understand that? Israel figured it out pretty quick. In Jesus taking the full brunt of God's wrath, and as we can have a relationship with God through Jesus as our Savior, there is grace, there is mercy, there is love, there is unconditional love. As God, thank you, it's perfect. As God, uh, you can put the icon on there. If God is our creator, ruler, king, this is uh, our icons that we do down in kids' ministry. So I thought it'd be cool to have them up here. If we understand that he's our creator, ruler, king, that he's a holy God that's, more, that's above all and in all and through all, and the crazy thing is he's transcendent, only meaning he's a God that is over everything, and yet he's right here with us. In this room, in the spirit, full of power, he's with us. It's phenomenal. Outside of Christ, we do not want to deal with God's wrath. And because of Jesus, we don't have to anymore. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees holiness and perfection. If Jesus is our Savior if we are trusting in him, and if we are allowing him to take that brunt of God's wrath. So in God's exhaust, exhaustiveness of dealing with our sin, here's the next icon, it's we sin. As you and I are separated because of sin, we, we did a lesson um, a few weeks ago. I, I drew a bridge. It was not a pretty bridge, but I drew a bridge. And in, in the garden... The bridge represented relationship between man and God, and it was complete, and it was there, and it was perfect. And then man decided to sin and disobey and be selfish instead of with a holy God, and that bridge was broken. And it's impossible to fix the bridge. There is now no way that I can have a relationship with a holy God except God provided a way for that bridge to be fixed, to be repaired. And if we believe in Jesus as our Savior, that bridge can never be broken again. Do we, uh -oh. do we understand, do we, are we realizing the extent of God's wrath and the extent of his view of sin? So the next icon is God provides. He provides the way for that bridge to be fixed. He, he provides a way that 
as he exhausted his wrath in dealing with sin of Israel, he has now exhausted his wrath on his son, and his son is now our Savior. His son is now our way that we can have a relationship with a holy God because holiness cannot, cannot be around sin, even if it's one sin. And the last icon in this, in this section is that Jesus gave that he freely gave his life on the cross when he used to have a unity with God. And in the scriptures, it talks about now that it was separate. God turned his back. That separation of a relationship that was so close, that's, it's, I, I can't even wrap my head around that. So God keeps going, or Jeremiah keeps going. All right, in the last few verses, we're going to read, uh, the, next, the, the next point is God is working to bring us to Repentance. We're going to read verses 18, 19, and then I'll summarize 20 through 22. 18 says their heart... Oh, so remember, this section is the prophet exhorts them or encourages them to lean into God, to lament. Don't run. You are going through horrendous things. I have seen that. I know that. I've spoken it. Don't run from God. Lean into God. 18 says their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion... Let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. 19. Arise. Cry out in the night at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Jeremiah urges his people to present their case to God, to cry out to God, to lean into God. He gives them a model. He gives them an example. Here's how. Here's the lament. Here's the cry. Then in 20 and 22, it's kind of, again, just, this is the craziest, this is the craziest part. So 20 through 22 is, again, there's some explicit language in there, but again, it's just a, a an example of how to pray to God. But what's crazy is at the very end, in 22, it says, you summoned as if, as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. It's like I'm in the middle of a party with my worst nightmares. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those, those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. That's the end of chapter 2. That's not a happy ending. But sometimes your pain and my pain is not going to end right away. Sometimes I have to continue. We have to continue to lament. Israel needed to continue to lament. Their pain, their agony didn't just go away. They had to continue to lament. It didn't end with all of a sudden God saying, yep, everything's fine, I love you. And I mean, he does. But it's not a happy ending. The lament is continuing. Okay. Last things. So, we understand that God's our creator, ruler, king. We understand that we sin, we're separated from that, but God provided a way to be able to uh, um, um, build that bridge again and make a way for us to have a relationship. And Jesus freely gave the sacrifice that above all sacrifices, he gave it for you and me. Where do we stand with that today? Separate, do we, are we separated by God because of our evil sinfulness or are we, or are we experiencing a loving relationship 
with God through Jesus who forgives us. Where do you stand today? You don't want to be on the side of wrath without Jesus. As believers, Jesus has taken the brunt of God's wrath, but in Romans uh, chapter 7, Paul talks about the, what's that uh, hymn, uh, prone to wander? Lord, I, something prone to, we, we, we tend to drift because we're not perfect, so we make mistakes. We're prone to go, to walk away. In Romans 7, verse 19, Paul says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. You and I are prone to wander. So the question is, where do we stand? Do you need to have a relationship started to get today with God through Jesus? Do you need to accept him as your savior? Do you need him to take the full brunt of God's wrath because he hates sin and he needs to eradicate it? If we have a relationship through God, with God through Jesus, how are we prone to wander? How are you prone to wander? How am I prone to wander? What are the things that I should be doing that I don't, and what are the things I don't want to do that I do? Lamentations shows us, Jeremiah showed us in chapter 2, the awfulness of God's wrath on sin. But we need to understand that in his sovereignty and in his love, he is pursuing his children to bring them back. If we have a relationship with God through Jesus, we are God's children. Now, there's all kinds of discipline. Sometimes we're going through discipline because he's correcting us. Sometimes we're going through discipline or the consequences of our sin. There's, there's lots of different things. Uh, there's lots of different ways that God brings us back to himself. But what we saw in this chapter is that you and I have a language to get through pain. We have a language to get through suffering. We have a language that we can cry out to God. And we don't stay in that. We use it to continue our faith, to grow our faith, and to get closer to God. The whole point of the chapter was the gospel. The whole point of the chapter was that God's wrath was bringing his people back. Now God's wrath is fully placed on Jesus, and he's your Savior and my Savior. He wants to be. When we go through things that just don't make sense, when we go through things that are difficult, when there's mental health issues, when there's physical issues, when there's pain, when there's suffering, instead of running from God, run to God. Seriously, go back and read chapter 2 because the things that were happening there can bring clarity to the things that happen to us now and gives us a way and a language to be able to go back to God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that um, thank you that you give us a language. Thank you that we were able to go through this and, and together and, and that you gave wisdom and clarity and honor. God, I, I hope that that happens. I hope that happened this morning, that it was your word, your spirit talking, that it wasn't me. God, thank you for your love, your unconditional love, your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your son who took the full brunt of everything. Thank you that 
we can have a relationship with you through Jesus, God. I pray that we pursue that. And I pray that in the midst of our pain, we would run to you and not from you, and that we would lament, and that you would give us the power and the strength to get through. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.